Thank you, Lord, for the blessing of being in this place at this time. Um, ultimately, Lord, we hope that this could be done unto you, that our gathering here, that our, uh, like the focus of our heart, the intention of our mind and soul would be you, that we would embrace this ultimately and first as a privilege to be in your presence. We are grateful for it. And we pray that we could be the church in this season, that you would give us great wisdom to live for you in this world and to join you in the restoration of all things. In Jesus' name, amen. So good to have you folks here with us. Welcome. If you're new with us, uh, there's a spot on the, on the notes card. Hopefully you've got a notes card. If you need a, a page to write notes in, <clears throat> raise your hand. We'll get you one. Um, but uh, if, if, it'd be great. We've had, we've had first-time guests almost every week since we started gathering again, and yet we, because of the, the differences with our greeting and ushering and everything, we're, we're not capturing contact information very well. So if you would like to be um, informed about what's happening now and what's happening next, please uh, give us your contact information. Just to rip off the bottom of the page of notes and hand that off later today, and we'll, we'll, we'll do a better job staying connected with you guys, all right? All right, well, welcome. So glad that you've joined us this morning. Um, one of the most remarkable things about the resurrection of Jesus is that it was so widely witnessed, right? So widely witnessed after being murdered on a Roman cross and being buried in a tomb, Jesus is risen from the dead. And then over the next period of 40 days, in a variety of ways, he appears to hundreds of people. The man who was killed is raised from the dead and appears as a risen man to hundreds of people. And it's the categories of the people that is so remarkable to me. The categories of people who witnessed a man who was once living and then died and then was living again. The categories, the people who witnessed and experienced the risen Jesus include his closest friends and total strangers include his followers and his enemies. And it's his enemies. That's the interesting part, isn't it? That there are enemies of Christ that witnessed him as a resurrected man. It's what happened. So the question I want to ask is, what happens when an enemy encounters Christ? What happens when an enemy of Christ encounters Christ? When someone who believes Jesus to be a fraud, someone who believes Jesus to be dangerous, someone who is actively and violently opposed to Jesus and his followers, what happens when somebody like that actually encounters Jesus? This morning I want to tell you the most famous story about the most famous enemy of Jesus. It's in Acts chapter 9. We're preaching a series called Wounded Healer. It's a series through Acts and we're going to look at chapter 9 together this morning. The text will be on the screen or on your TV screen if you're at home with us. So I want to encourage you to read along with us here. Acts is the historical account of the Jesus movement, the early days of the Christian church. It's a story of what happened to the 12 disciples of Jesus, those he called to be apostles, and the earliest followers of Jesus after the three-year ministry of Jesus, after Jesus ascends into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. Acts is written by a, a Jesus follower named Luke, who is the same man who writes the gospel called Luke. And he begins chapter 9 of his record like this. Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. 
Okay, so Luke has introduced this man named Saul briefly before. It was at the end of a story about the the murder of a man named Stephen. Stephen's an early Christian leader and the first to be killed for his faith in Jesus. Uh, Stephen is dragged outside the city gates and they throw stones at him until he is killed. Um, Those who oppose Jesus are those who want Stephen dead. They kill him and as they're murdering him, Luke writes this, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. Who is this Saul guy and why is, he, why is he there? Well, simply put, Saul is the high priest's hitman. That's who he is. He's the not-so-secret agent of the, of the governing Jewish authority, of the high priest of the Jewish faith. And Saul is given written permission to arrest and apparently even kill followers of Jesus out of a desire to maintain the purity of the Jewish faith. And so Saul is so impassioned um, by this. He's so devoted to this, to specifically to ridding the earth of anything or anyone who would compromise the purity of the Jewish religion that he not only persecutes Jews who are becoming Christians in Jerusalem, but he, persecu- he goes to other cities and hunts them down. He works the network of Jewish synagogues in surrounding cities with his authorization from the high priest, and he's specifically looking for Jews who are continuing to gather on Sabbath to worship, but they're embracing Jesus as the Messiah. So we're introduced to Saul early chapter 8. Then Luke, the author, shifts and tells this beautiful story about another Christian named Philip and how he baptizes this man from Ethiopia and this, the message of the gospel extends into Samaria and into Africa. It is what Nick preached about last Sunday. And then he comes right back to uh, Acts chapter 9 and the story of Saul. So what we're seeing is suffering and healing and suffering and healing. As we read Acts together this summer, those are the two themes that we're trying to lift up. is the themes of suffering and the themes of, of healing. And here's why this is, I mean, it's just critical. We need to learn to view our suffering as, as Christians. We have to have a a Christian understanding of suffering. Otherwise, we'll embrace just anybody's understanding of suffering, and it'll lead to all kinds of despair and dismay and, and, and strange solutions. We not only need a Christian understanding of suffering, we need a Christian understanding of healing. We need to have a sense of what it means, according to the Bible, to be healed. And so it's really important as we read, and there's all kinds of lenses we could bring to this study of Acts, but the lens we're choosing to bring for the next few weeks at least is the lens of suffering and healing. We want to pursue a distinctly Christian understanding of both suffering and healing. So back to Acts chapter 9. Luke begins by saying, Meanwhile, like while all this beautiful stuff was happening in, in chapter 8 with Philip and the Ethiopian Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. In other words, this hasn't stopped. This suffering of Christians at the hand of Saul has continued. Luke writes, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which is the way the Christians were referred to as they're part of this way, this movement, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. So, what is going on? Saul is literally hunting Christians. That's what's going on. And he's hunting them throughout the network of synagogues in other cities um, by the authority of the high priest. Saul's got written authority from the very top to lock up Christians. Saul is the sworn enemy of Christians. And he is on the war path. Right? So you got to understand the, I mean, literally, 
breathing out murderous threats, right? All right, here's what happens next. I mean, it's like, okay, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground. He heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. Here's the warrior. Here's the persecutor, right? Here's the hitman being led by his hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. All right, two points this morning. The first thing I want you to see is this is a story about the suffering of Jesus. About the suffering of Jesus. Don't miss that the main character of the story is Jesus, and don't miss that Jesus is suffering. Saul is on the warpath. This is not a leisurely stroll. He's moving with a purpose. He's breathing out murderous threats. He is consumed with this this impassioned desire to rid the earth of Christians. His breath is bitter with hatred for followers of Jesus. Suddenly, flash of lightning literally knocks the man to the ground, and he hears a voice, and it says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Two things to point out that are so fascinating here to me. First, there is a pattern If you study the theophanies in the Bible, the encounters with God, people's encounters with God, there is a pattern, especially when God is correcting or changing someone's direction, he says their name twice. Moses, Moses from the burning bush, right? Uh, Genesis 26, Jacob, Jacob. It's like, man, you're going the wrong way. To the little boy Samuel, who he calls to be a prophet, Samuel, Samuel. Saul knows these stories, and now Saul hears Saul, Saul. So you got a flash of lightning plus the voice. Saul is clear on one thing. He's clear on he is talking to God. Okay, but here's the second interesting thing. The voice asks Saul a puzzling question, which is, why do you persecute me? So I imagine Saul just being absolutely baffled at this point. He's just so confused because he's thinking, I think this is the voice of God, but I'm not persecuting God, right? I'm getting rid of these crazy heretic Jesus people. I am serving God. That's what I'm doing. I am the good guy in this story. And so he's so confused. And so he asks a clarifying question, which is bold. Who are you, Lord? He's clear that it's the Lord, but he's confused He knows he's encountering God, but he's confused by what God says. And so he asks, who are you, Lord? And God answers, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Can you even, can you even imagine the chaos in Paul's mind or Saul's mind at this point? I mean, he's trying to rid the... Jesus is the enemy. Jesus is the heretic. Jesus is the one that messed up the Jewish faith. Jesus is the distraction. Jesus is the one that's wrecking all the purity of the Jewish worship. Jesus is the, now Jesus is God. I mean, it would have just thrown him. I can't even imagine the, like the shock and surprise. Wait a minute. 
I'm talking to Jesus? I, I, I thought I was talking to God, but it's Jesus? And then, can you imagine the dread that comes next after that? Like, oh, no. <laughs> I am not the good guy, right? I, I've been so wrong. Can you imagine the dread that must have just consumed his heart? Like when you just know, oh, I was absolutely wrong. I mean, this is so intense. This is just more intense than I can articulate. I think it's intense in a couple, from a couple perspectives. First, Saul's perspective is intense because the man's world is just crashing in. Any stability under his feet is being pulled away. Uh, Jesus, whom Saul believed to be a fraud, is actually God. Uh, Saul actually believed he was the good guy. He was the true Jew. He was the most righteous. He was the most zealous. He's the hero of the story, but now the hero of the story is wrong. He's been fighting with all his heart, but he's been fighting against God, not with God and not for God. This is so intense from Saul's perspective. It's also intense from Jesus' perspective. What has Saul been doing? Persecuting Christians, right? But what does Jesus say Saul has been doing? Persecuting him. Do you see that? Persecuting him. So we've been reading about the suffering of Jesus' disciples, but then Jesus says the one suffering is actually him. He's suffering. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Luke tells so much in just a, in so few words here. Got flash of lightning. Men hit the deck, knocked off their feet. Voice from heaven, Saul, Saul. It's an encounter with God. Crystal clear, marks all the God encounter boxes. But who is God? Jesus is God. Jesus is the voice. And it's not, Jesus doesn't say, you're persecuting my followers, knock it off. He says, you're persecuting me. And he actually doesn't say it. He asks, why are you persecuting me? It's so tender. It's so Jesus-y. And yet it's so knock him off his feet. Revelatory. So first big idea this morning is that Jesus identifies with the suffering. And Jesus identifies so closely with the suffering that he feels the suffering himself. The pain of the suffering is Jesus' pain. It's not just his followers who are being persecuted. He is being persecuted. You're persecuting me, he says. It is Jesus who is suffering. And we've heard this kind of thing before in the Gospels, haven't we? At the end of Matthew, when Jesus is talking about the final judgment, he has a very interesting teaching. It's actually very challenging to me. This is what Jesus says. I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes. You clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And the people before him say, what? When were you hungry, and we gave you something to eat? When were you thirsty, and we gave you a drink? When were you a stranger, sick, in jail? And you remember what Jesus says? He says, whatever you did for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did for me. You did for me. Jesus identifies with the suffering so intensely, so intimately. He's like, I am the sick, in a sense. I am the one in prison. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So this is the story of Saul's conversion. Do you remember yours? If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning at home, do you remember your conversion? Do you remember the point at which 
something changed for you? Do you remember the degree to which it changed? Do you remember the breadth of things that changed for you? This is Saul's conversion. We see a change of mind here in Saul. We see a change of heart here in Saul. We see a conversion of Saul's life. He's going this direction for this purpose, and it all gets changed. The conversion happening in Saul's life, it's, it's probably the most thorough conversion we actually get a window into. It's such a deep and profound conversion. There's a change in direction. There's a change in perspective. There's a radical change in understanding. I mean, a profound change in understanding. Saul is knocked off his feet and told that the man that he believed to be a fraud is actually God. The man he thought was bad and wrong actually defines good and right Saul believed he was persecuting the bad guys, but is told by God, you are persecuting me. Do you remember your conversion? Do you remember, was it hard in any way? I imagine, I imagine there was like a, see what's hard about conversion for me is admitting I've been wrong. Admitting that the way I was thinking, the way I was feeling, the actions I was taking, they were misguided. And I need to stop what I thought was right and do what somebody else is telling me is right. Conversion is hard, right? you got to admit that you're wrong. And I can only imagine, I can only imagine how challenging it must have been for Saul. He is the rock star Jewish purity guy. He is going after the bad guys. Everybody's cheering for him. He's got the authority from the ultimate. And he converts because he encounters the risen Christ. So it's challenging for me. I, have the whole, I mean, what Jesus says to him is challenging. The story is challenging. And I've got the whole Bible to, to you only had the Old Testament. I got the whole Bible, including Paul's writings. I've got the history of the church informing my understanding, and it's still challenging for me. The depth of, specifically this, the depth of Jesus' identity with or identifying with the suffering. That is so challenging for me. It's challenging and it's beautiful. Why is it challenging? Because it's challenging for me to see Christ in the suffering. It's challenging for me to welcome Christ in the outcast. It's challenging for me to serve Christ in the needy. That's just challenging for me. But why is it beautiful? Well, it's beautiful to realize that when I am suffering, Christ suffers with me. Isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful to realize that when I'm in pain, he doesn't just say, I'm sorry for you. No, he feels my, he feels my pain too. Right? He experiences what I'm, when I'm grieving, Jesus is grieving with me. And that's beautiful. There is a, there's an intimacy that we can experience with the suffering Christ at our points of greatest need for intimacy, which is when we're suffering. There is such close identification with people who suffer that it's like Jesus is suffering. He actually, it's he that says that. You're persecuting me. Jesus' deep identification with the suffering with those who suffer, it's just a world-changing reality for me. He's not just with the sick In a sense, he is the sick. He's not just with the persecuted. In a mysterious way, he is the one being persecuted. So yes, this is a story of Paul's conversion. So much changes that even his name is changed. He goes from Saul to Paul. That's who we're talking about, in case you don't know. We're talking about the man who wrote a third of the New Testament, who becomes one of the most powerful Christian leaders in the history of the world. There's a lot of conversion happening here. And at the core of it all is this earth-shattering reality that Jesus is alive and Jesus is Lord. 
and he's suffering still. That's mind-blowing to me. 2,000 years later, it must have you know, knocked him off his feet. All right, so that's the first point. Let's continue the story, and we'll get to this, the, the final point. Acts chapter 9, verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. Ananias, I think, gets his name spoken once because he's, he's just ready. He's just obedient, right? Ananias, yes, Lord, he's right there. The Lord said to him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord Ananias answered. He's going to push back a little. I've heard many reports about this man, about all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. The word there is to your saints in Jerusalem. It's the first time Luke uses the word. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, to their kings, and to the Jews. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and he entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Okay, so the first point this morning is that Jesus is suffering. And the second point that I want to invite you to see is that Jesus suffers to make enemies brothers. Let's look at these last few verses carefully. There's a Christian named Ananias in Damascus, the town to which Saul is heading to pull people into prison. People like Ananias, Jewish men who have embraced Christ. And Ananias is clearly concerned by what the Lord reveals to him. Saul's dangerous reputation has preceded him. Ananias knows Saul is a dangerous man. Ananias pushes back ever so gently. He says, Lord, this man's caused a lot of suffering for the church. He's caused a lot of suffering for your saints. From Ananias' perspective, Saul's the bad guy. Saul's the bad guy. But then Jesus says, essentially, I'm choosing this bad guy to be my main guy to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the Jews. And then Jesus tells him that he's supposed to go and heal the man who has caused so much suffering. Isn't that amazing? Ananias is charged with healing the man who has caused so much suffering, don't think it's hypothetical. He knows the people. Oh, this would have been hard. What do you do with the one who causes suffering to those closest to you? Do you kill him? Or do you heal him? Wow. Do you heal him? It's, just, it's totally different than what we're being told in our culture. Do you see that? 
It's a completely different approach to suffering and healing. How do you eradicate suffering? More violence or do you heal the enemy? It's just so powerful. So Ananias goes and he noticed what Ananias says to Saul. Ananias went to the house, he entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may know, so you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Ananias says two things that are so powerful here. First, what does he call Saul, the sworn enemy of Christians? He calls him brother. I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing. Brother Saul. First words out of his mouth. Brother Saul. And all that that must have communicated. Brother Saul. This morning, Saul was the threat. He was the sworn enemy of Christians. This afternoon, Saul's a brother. <laughs> what Ananias says reveals what Ananias understands and that is something critical, that his enemy has become his brother. So that's the first thing. Here's the second thing I want you to notice. How has the enemy become the brother? It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how. Simply stated. Who appeared to Saul and changed Saul. That's what changed. The difference between Saul as enemy and Saul as brother is a real encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what changed. That's what happened. Ananias knows this, and he explains this to Saul. Did you see what he says? The same Lord, Jesus, just to be clear, the one who appeared to you on the road, you remember that? He also appeared to me. The same guy appeared to me also. Ananias knows that Jesus is the Lord. He is the one true God. I'm sure Ananias has a lot of questions, but one thing that he is clear about is that Jesus is Lord over all, including himself and Saul. And if Jesus is Lord over himself and Saul, then Saul is no longer his enemy. Saul is his brother. Jesus sees both of these men. Jesus loves both of these men. Jesus has revealed himself to both of these men, and he wants to involve both of these men in his great plan for restoration. Jesus is bringing healing. He's healing Saul's misplaced passions and his hatred. He's healing Ananias' fear and maybe his low view of the, of the ability of God to change a person's life. And now Jesus will use each of these men as critical players in his great plan of healing and of the restoration of all things. This is what we're seeing in this story this morning, friends, as we wrap up. Jesus suffers to make enemies brothers. Jesus suffers to make enemies brothers. Jesus suffers, and it's not meaningless suffering. There's profound purpose in his suffering. What is the purpose of Christ's suffering? In a word, it's reconciliation. Reconciling both God and people and reconciling people and people. That's the work. That's the reason he suffers. It's to recon ultimately, it's to reconcile people to God and people to one another. This is a story about extreme animosity. It is the ultimate conflict. Hunter and hunted. And the risen Jesus, the one true God who encounters both of them and the world changes. Perspectives change, emotions change, 
actions change. It is a full-on conversion. Jesus is recognized and Jesus is embraced as Lord of all, and the enemy becomes the brother. Amen? Amen. So may God give us grace to realize that Jesus identifies with the suffering. May we treat the suffering as we would treat Jesus. And may God give us hope to believe that Jesus does not suffer in vain, but that Jesus suffers in order to bring healing, to make enemies brothers, to make the broken whole, and to restore all things to their created purpose. Amen.